0: So we carry on with the story of Esther today, and uh, apparently we've gone back to Haman from Haman. It's easier to say Haman. Debbie was probably right. They probably should be Haman, but we'll call him Haman. It is a story of heroes and villains, right? We have two tremendous heroes in the story of Esther, Esther herself and Mordecai, and we have the story of a villain. Who is the greatest villain in history, or in literature, or in Hollywood, or in DC Comics, or Marvel? Who is the greatest of villains in your mind? I want to hear some. Darth Vader. All right. Oh, oops, oops, oops. Hitler? Who else? Satan. Satan. Always count on Orville for the right answer. Yep. Who else? Who was that? Orville wins. Oh, Orville wins. I thought you were calling Orville the greatest villain. I thought, wow, that's not, that's kind of harsh. (laughs) Indeed. Heroes and villains uh, show up in so many realms um, we read children's stories and often will discern that there's a good guy and a bad guy um, nursery rhymes will be a good guy and a bad guy um, a good witch and a bad witch uh, when we go to the theater we probably will realize that the themes of heroes and villains are showing up if we go to Broadway whatever we sort of turn our attention to we can often pick up the themes of the hero and the villain and I just I simply want to ask the question this morning where does that come from I'm interested in um, a a kind of theology called natural theology and some of you have heard lots about that the the idea of natural theology is that uh, within the system there are things that can be learned and discerned, whereas apart from the system, there are things that have to be revealed to us. So we would say there's special revelation that comes to us through scripture. And we we would not know the things that are taught us in the scripture, except God has revealed them to us. And so we work our lives through the scriptures and we try to understand what they tell us. We try to obey what we ought to do. We try to avoid what we ought not to do. And we realize that that it's a special means of revelation that God has delivered to us. Natural theology says, if we did not have special revelation, what would we know already about God? And if we go to the special revelation, the Bible claims that there are many things that we know about God from the creation that we see around us. We know something about his nature. We know something about his, his essence just by the nature that is around us. But in the human life, it seems to me there are aspects of life that are also part of natural revelation, that when we, when we look hard... At our lives when we look hard at our humanness we discern that there is something beyond our humanness um, that gives meaning to it so we have for example some sense of right and wrong and we wonder where that sense of right and wrong comes from and it tends to reach out to there being some arbiter of right and wrong when we realize that there's the phenomenon of beauty in our lives We wonder where that comes from. Why is it that we see the beauty in creation, in nature, in one another? Um, What does that kind of pull us out towards? Um, These would be sort of examples of natural revelation and natural theology. And if you're talking with folks who have difficulty accepting that the Bible is a revealed message from God to us, Sometimes the place to start is to say, well, let's not open the Bible yet. Let's ask ourselves what we could know simply by looking around or simply by looking inside. What do we have a hunch about? What are we inclined towards? And when we do that, I think we can search into kind of the recesses of life and notice some things. And I think heroes and villains are sown into our artistic minds, our creative minds, our imaginations, in simple things like stories, books, music, plays, and if we were thoughtful, we might stop and say, where does this idea of a hero and a villain come from? I mean, who who came up with that? Was Was there some committee in Hollywood that said the way to make millions of dollars is to Is to make films of people that are very very good, and people who are very 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 bad, um, and you know who they are. Those pictures come to mind. I thought about going through a whole litany of the villains, and and I couldn't get to the end of it. I got stuck at Horatio, so we'll we'll, we'll not go any farther than that. Where does the idea of heroes and villains come from? And of course. Haman as the arch villain in the story of the book of Esther and to what degree does the story of Esther just really play into the the body of work that there is in the human family uh, related to what people do and what character we ascribe to those people and to the things that they do. So in the Book of Esther, we have the very good people and the very bad people, and then the other players, um, the supporting cast all the way through, like a king who wasn't very courageous, um, like some people who thought they would like to have the king undone, who were rather stupid because they were bound to get caught, and they did, and that was dealt with. But in the Book of Esther, we, we have this looming picture um, of the hero and of the villain. When we go through the Bible, um, we can also sort the stories of the Bible by saying who were the good guys and who were the bad guys. And very often it's quite clear who who the good one is and who the bad one is. And sometimes we're left a little perplexed about whether this is really a good person or whether this is really a bad person. So I would encourage you to um, maybe spend some time this week glancing through the Bible and come to some of the places where you say, aha, I bet that's one of the top ten villains in the Bible. Sometimes there are women, which is kind of cool, I think, to look and see that there are women who are villainous just as well as there are men who are villainous. So I would assume that's not being pejorative or sexist when I admit that women are also villainous. Some are very villainous. Not that one. What is this whole track of hero and villain, particularly the notion of villain, what is it drawing us out towards? Uh, When we consider the villains of history, some of them are just astonishing in, in the stuff of their evil, the stuff of their being villains, the stuff of their being the one with the black hat on. And we 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 kind of draw ourselves back to ask, what is in that person's mind? What is in that person's heart? How could that person be um, the person he or she has become? How could they do the things that they have done? And one of the things that kind of works away at the back of our mind is to ask the question: Could that person be forgiven? for what they did and we might go to the list of villains and maybe all of us might get to a point of saying there's where we draw the line there there really is not any forgiveness for that person or maybe as we understand the grace of God we say if we could grasp the grace of God we'd understand that even that person can be forgiven even that person can be forgiven questions like is Judas in heaven or not Hard questions. And questions like, is there a judgment where villains get their due? Um, When a thief on the cross at the last minute commits his life to Jesus, does he get to be scot-free from the results of the things that he had done? Hard questions. And questions that have to do with the way that we sense Matters of morality and ethics and um, all all of those sorts of things. All of the stories of the villain culminate in the story of one great arch villain. So Orval's right. The grandest villain, the greatest villain, the villain with most darkness and debauchery in his heart was Satan. And every story of a villain is a little mimicking of Satan. Every way that a villain performs, even in our, our popular arts and so on, every way that a villain proves to be a villain, that person is um, mirroring the heart, the head, the feet, the hands of the one who is the true final villain. I would say that the fact that heroes and villains uh, prevail in, in our literature and arts and so on is a matter of natural revelation that we could say to someone, that story, that simple little nursery story, the terrible things that person did, those are very important lessons for us. Little boys and girls, they're very important lessons for us that when a person behaves that way, the reason she behaves that way or he behaves that way is that there's something wrong with her and there's something wrong with all of us and some of us are very evil like that person. Some of us are not so evil. Some of us don't even look like we're evil but in the human family there is this phenomenon that we do things that are shocking to ourselves and others and they are simply mirroring the person who has gone ahead of us and who actually has made us villainous along with him i want to just read you briefly from the passage in the bible that tells us about the fall of lucifer lucifer was not a villain at the beginning but he became a villain and there are two places in the old testament one is in isaiah that i will read for you and one is in ezekiel And they are stories about uh, human rulers, kings, despots that fall, but it's been widely accepted that they are also sort of harping back um, to the fall of Satan. So Satan is not the equal and opposite to God, although many times I think we functionally accept that or believe that. Um, Satan is not all-powerful. Satan was a created being, is a created being. Satan is finite. He is not omnipresent. He doesn't know everything. He doesn't he, he 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 doesn't have his personal mind everywhere. He has minions who do all his work for him. But in Isaiah, here's the way that Satan is characterized. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you, they will ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow his prisoners to go home? A characterization of what happened to Satan. He was the most glorious of angelic beings, and yet he was cast down to earth. And in the way that Isaiah describes this being, I think we begin to to get the caricature of a villain. I think I'm, I'm, okay, my, my throat will clear up presently. Three things that I think mark a villain, and they are the three things that characterize Satan, And I think we could apply them to each of our villains, um, like the one in the book of Esther, and we could see that they play out in in that person's life. We also then could understand um, that there are signs of villainy in us, that there are things in each of these that might ring true just a little bit too close to home for us. And if so, we should be very careful to allow the the light of God's love and faith and grace to to penetrate whatever darkness creeps into the villainous parts of our hearts. First thing, and there are um, three sort of C's. The first one is self-centeredness. So centeredness is the C. I know that self doesn't begin with a C, but self-centeredness. The beginning of the problem with Lucifer was that he said, I will. Was, there's just a litany of the things that he said he would do. I will, I will, I will. And at the, at the very core of, of this phenomenon of, of being villainous, of, of being the black hat person, is the great treachery of self-centeredness that that when it comes down to what really matters in my heart and my head i say it's me i mean more than you i am more important than you i am more right than you i am more appropriate than you all of those ways that we begin to sort between human beings and we view ourselves this kind of beginning of being the villain is to have this self-centeredness that basically says, it's it's all about me. There's nothing else or no one else that ultimately matters at all. It, it's all about me. And so we, we could, I think, begin to understand that in each of our hearts and minds, there are the seeds of of being villainous. There are the seeds of being treacherous when we find out that actually when it comes down to what really matters oftentimes i'm ashamed to say that it's more about me than about you um that begins me <clears throat> down <clears throat> down a downward trail that if if i don't check that if i don't regularly stop that i may end up getting to the place where i do things um i Value things, I want things that are really catering to that fundamental need to serve me. Satan said, I will ascend to heaven. I will ascend above the, I'll be greater than the Most High. I will, I will, I will. And God said, No, you won't. And God um, cast him down. Second thing is the idea of being controlling. So when we look at Haman, we find that he is afflicted with the first aspect of being a villain. He is incredibly self-centered. When he walks through town and Mordecai won't bow to him, he is incensed because it is all about him. Why would this person not be willing to bow down to me like other people? Why would this person not acknowledge how important I am? Why would this person... And all of it is from the core of being self-centered. And then he proves to be a controlling person and says, I will now exert my power to get what I want so that I can be served. This then is the mandate of Lucifer, the mandate of Satan. Having decided that he alone will be supreme, having decided to serve himself, he then goes into control mode and says, what else can I control in all of the world, in all of the universe to get what I want? Haman did the same thing. How can I work things around so that Haman gets what's coming to him, Um, not Haman, Mordecai, what's coming to him. What can I do? What can I control? And so controlling becomes an aspect of this sort of treachery that we would call being villainous. The third thing, and it's, it's more difficult to be precise about, so I, I've used the word circumventing, but I have two other words that I think can also help. Um, circumventing is when I am the most important person in the world, in my universe. Um, I will control everything that I can to serve my interests, my good. And I will circumvent any attempt at good. I will circumvent Anything that threatens my importance and my control over things. The other words that I would connect up with that are the words conniving and conspiring. And that's what Haman was all about. He, he was going to circumvent everything that he could so that he could be exalted, so that he could be in control, and especially so that his, his arch enemy can can be put down. And so he conspired, literally, and said, I I will work everything around to get what I want. And he proves to be kind of the the quintessential villain, because often the tables get turned against villains, even in our literature and and arts and so on. We find that um, what they intended to do just comes to no avail. And so the plot is discovered, the The plan is thwarted, and the person finds himself in a mucky place of mess having been made by his errors from the very beginning. So Haman, as well, found himself caught in his own snare in a very ironic turn of events. So we, we find that the first ironic turn is when the king says, what have we done for this person who has been uh, someone of great favor uh, or should have great favor what what should be done for such a person and Haman says well and he's thinking it's him Uh, such a person should be honored in this way and the irony is that then the king tells Haman to honor Mordecai that way another irony is that ultimately the gallows that were designed for Mordecai were used for Haman and The plot thickens, everything turns around, but it it brings to light the plight of the person who has started down the wrong path and ends up being villainous, mirroring his or her life and behavior after the arch-villain, Satan himself. Self-centeredness, a controlling way with other people to assert your own self-centeredness. And then... A circumventing of everything that you can to get what you want. Um, you've you've met people in situations, I'm sure, where you kind of... The person doesn't pass the smell test, or right? you think, this person doesn't seem to be altogether out front. And you wonder, what is this person's ulterior motive? What is this person doing? And you see the person kind of maneuvering, And you ask yourself, why is that person talking that way to that person? Why is that person worried about this or pointing this out? Well, it's because the person is in that place of trying to worm in and out of other people's lives and situations to get what he wants. Satan is a master at that. Satan um, is not the genius who has brought about the problems in our lives. But he is the master at twisting those problems around for his own ends to your demise. So that we see God behind the scenes and God is far from being that kind of circumventing or conniving or conspiring person, but we see that God is always the way he always has been And so we don't need to worry about his character when we see troubles that come our way. Um, It's foolhardy to say, well, God has done this or God wanted this to happen because God is only good and always good. And what God is always doing when Satan is twisting things around is that he is trying to straighten things out for good, for his glory and for us to grow and we need to know that there is a completely different MO for the way God deals with us and the way Satan is working in our lives. And Satan is the lord of, of, of this world. He is the one who has usurped authority that is not his but is his until um, there's the final settling that has been arranged for by the sacrifice of Christ. And so we're wise to the point that we understand that this selfish, self-centered being is controlling our world and is circumventing every good thing and every good way to try to bring about our demise. Satan is never happy about anything good that ever happens to you. Never happy about anything good. That happens to you if we suspect that in our hearts there is just a little hint of darkness and there is because the Bible tells us that that the heart of man is desperately wicked and we can't understand it and the Bible tells us you know in full what our problem is so we're not surprised that there is a lingering darkness in some of our lives and ways so how can we check those three things just as we close here how can we check self-centeredness we can check that by selflessness if it is not about me i'm prone to be thinking in the right way if i'm always fixating on it being about me i'm not headed in the right direction instead of being controlling how about if i am supporting so Someone, for example, is my leader. And as I think about this, some of the dark shadows begin to float across my mind. And I think I'm more important than him. And I would rather be in control than him. And so I could get too far down that slippery slope if I don't stop and say, no, that person is my boss and it's his choice and I will support what he has said needs to be done. I will be responsible in in that way. And what can we do instead of circumventing um, a person's plans, good or fairly good plans, uh, we can submit rather than say, "I, I can work with this, I can find a better way around and at the end of the day I can get what I want. It's much better if at the end of the day I will have said, I have lived into the truth of being selfless, as Jesus did. I have lived into the truth of obeying those in authority over me. I've lived into the truth of submitting to those who have that authority and to following as I ought to follow. People have often said over the last few decades that there's a lot of stuff written about leading and very little written about following. And that there ought to be more books about how to be good followers. Not only how to be a good leader, be a better leader, or become a leader that you weren't before. Leadership is good, but followership is also very important and very good. Villains are everywhere. Villains are the short story of the long story of the arch-villain who decided that he was the only being that mattered, who decided that he wanted to be in control of this world, and who decided that he would wiggle and worm his way into every life to bring it to its demise. God has stood against the attempts of Satan and from the very beginning has said, you are not going to be the one you are claiming you will be. And he was cast out of heaven. And then through time, God has carefully and slowly formed a way that satan will be thoroughly undone at the end of time in the meantime satan is still working his his plots he's working his his dastardly ways and we get caught in it and we would be very wise if we would identify any ways in which we subscribe to the villainous ways of satan um looking more like the way he behaved more like the way villains behave than the way heroes behave or the way that um, God has led us forward. The life of Jesus is always the perfect example of what ought to be and what we ought to do. And when we understand the way that Jesus lived and loved and the way that he accomplished his purposes, none of it was in a selfish way. None of it was in a self-centered way. He didn't come um, to be served, but to serve. What, What a powerful statement that that's not why he came. Well, aren't you Lord? Yes, I am Lord, and you do well to say so. But I did not come to Lord it over. I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And have I come to control you by power? Is the Christian way going to be a controlling way? No, it's going to be the antithesis of that. It's going to be a a serving way. It's going to be um, a dying way, and in many ways, a counterintuitive way of living. And Jesus, at the very end of his life, was in a place of full submission, where even in the garden, he said to the Father, is it possible that there's another cup? and he said not my will but yours be done in total submission total obedience total loving devotion to the father jesus showed us the way forward